Welcome to the Well Workplaces podcast. I'm your host, Tom Bosner, and today I'm speaking with the founder of Addiction Coaching Australia. His name is Conrad Tracy. Now, before we get into the show, I want to talk about Addiction Coaching Australia. Addiction Coaching Australia helps people break down the cycle of addiction to enable them to regain control over their life and their choices. Now, in today's episode with Conrad, we have an in-depth conversation around his personal story with addiction, which is really fascinating. We talk about the prevalence of addiction in the workplace and how workplace culture can impact personal well-being and facilitate substance misuse. Now, a little bit about Conrad, just to set the scene. Now, Conrad is a highly respected leader. He's founded three companies and worked in senior management for some of Australia's most innovative and culturally conscious organisations. Conrad's personal journey with addiction and highly recognised standing in the Australian addiction and recovery community and professional successes developing, coaching high-performing individuals and teams have really inspired him to found the Addiction Coaching Australia business. And in Addiction Coaching Australia, Conrad designs and facilitates programs for individuals dealing with substance misuse issues. And he's been successfully working with individuals, corporations, government bodies, and organizations through his liability and leadership program. Now, just a short note, In the show notes, the white paper liability to leadership is available for viewing. Um, And that's a really nice read and it's something that Comrade references in our discussion today. Now, a word of warning, there are discussions around substance misuse and addiction. So some of the information could be considered explicit. So word of warning here. Now let's cross over to the show with Conrad Tracy. Welcome to the Well Workplaces podcast. This is a live event today being streamed on various platforms. So if you are listening or watching, uh, please let us know where you're listening from and uh, or shoot us a question actually and we'll be happy to answer and include it in our discussion. I'm Tom Bosner. I'm one of the founders of well Workplaces, and today I'm really excited to be chatting with Conrad Tra- Tracy, who's the CEO of Addiction Coaching Australia. Conrad, welcome. Tom, thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited. This is good. This is this is this feels good. Like a good time to be chatting about this particular uh, topic, Conrad. I know we chatted last week about um, about teeing this up, and and also just learning a little bit about your your space, but. Um, I feel like this is a good time for this chat, Conrad, in particular, because in the workplace, you know, if you think about the last year, we've all been working remotely um, for, for so long. It's um, It's been a real journey, hasn't it? And um, if you're a knowledge worker, and a lot of our clients are in the knowledge worker space, um, there's never been a time like it. And over the last, even the last week, there's been things like Are You OK Day? There was... Uh, World uh, Suicide Awareness Day was the following day. And then as we come into October, there's National Mental Health Month here in Australia. So there's a lot of talk about mental health. And, and my feeling at the moment is because, well, 
we it's the most topical thing at the moment, of course, and there's a real reason for that. And I think because, you know, whilst we're working as one in maybe a company, we're also very disconnected. We haven't been this disconnected before um, socially and we are social uh so, social beings and so you know i feel like um i feel like in in the mental health space we talk a lot about anxiety depression um and how that's you know how we talk about diagnoses as well and we've shared a lot about that in various podcasts but i think today um conrad i think a really good starting point might be to um, explore your your personal story with with addiction and also talking a little bit more about this topic um, for the workplace because it's a really important one and, and one that a lot of people don't know a lot about. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Tom. It's like it's so poignant at the moment and it really, really is the perfect time. You talk about anxiety and isolation and, and depression and unfortunately people use substances to to curb these feelings and the problem with that is that it, it exacerbates it even more. So it's been, you know, it's been a very busy period for me and also working in and facilitating in rehabilitation centres. I can't tell you um, if I use the word inundated, it would be a, it would be a, you know, it wouldn't be a strong enough word. There's such a, a demand um, and I don't think people know where to start. I don't think they know how to access the help. So, you know, I'm very, very happy to, to have this platform and you know more than happy to to share my story if it if it helps people yeah yeah inundated yeah that that makes sense i mean you know we've through all the different lockdowns we're, we're both in melbourne obviously talking now um but you know we've been in lockdown for so long obviously that leads to that feeling of of loneliness for a lot of people and you know where, where do you where do you turn you know for some people that's um that might be into areas like you know substance misuse and in, in various various formats um conrad can you tell us a little bit about your your background and your your story in this um your own lived experience is that, are you happy to share a little bit about that yeah absolutely so i guess my my journey in in business started when you know, i i was on the, the entrepreneurial journey um, I was very, very interested in developing my own businesses. Um, lucky enough to, you know, have the the support and the resources to do those things. Um, and that was the first point for me where I started to, I took on too much with my work. Around 2011, 2012, I was running two startups um, not startups in the in the in the tech sense, but a, a small kind of property type uh, business, like a co-working space. Um, and I also had an online uh, retail and bricks and mortar retail space. So you wouldn't consider it, you know, startup today, but they were they were startup businesses for me. And I was really burning the candle on both ends. And I started to, I mean, my journey with drugs and substance misuse was very similar to other people's going out on the weekends you know celebrating with um with friends and for me i just i took it too far i started to rely on these substances that i was using over the weekend to get me through the week right and this is what i'm seeing with people now it's like they might go out on the weekend and 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 you know use recreationally or have a drink or have a punt 
Um, but then they're hitting Monday and they've got this huge amount of stress and anxiety and uncertainty. So it's carrying over. And for me, it happened really quickly. So I was, you know, I was using cocaine, um, which I thought was, you know, quite cool at the time. Um, I don't know. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's, it's, that's true. It's kind of um, for some people that's seen as the, you know, the, the luxury or the, the cool one, you know, if you're going to do something, do cocaine because that's cool and it's expensive. So you feel, feel it feels well, you do. You, know? you get to the point where like, I, I can afford that. I've made it, you know, which is crazy, but it, it's, mm. it's very, very true. And it's, it's almost like having, you know, a nice watch or a nice phone or a nice car, you know, they really go um, hand in hand in, in, in some parts of the society. So, you know, I started on doing that and I remember, you know, quite vividly, like I'd get to, to, to 11, 12 PM and I'd need to, you know, duck out and have a line and have a pick me up. And I, I did that for a long period of time. I wasn't never a heavy drinker, but when you do cocaine, you know, you smoke more, you drink more, um, you eat worse. And my health started to kind of to, to deteriorate quite rapidly. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I had, you know, it's like when, when uh, what do they say? When you lay with dogs, you get fleas, right? <laughs> so, like, unfortunately, the, the, where I was, you know, purchasing that and the people that I started to hang around with, like, I really lowered my standards in terms of who I was spending my time with. So, you know, that was a, a period in Melbourne where methamphetamines was becoming more popular. Um, and, you know, it was, it was something I never thought I would engage with. Mm. I looked at it and yeah. I went, yeah, no, no way. But mm. I, you know, I quickly, I quickly graduated and I remember uh, trying it and, and thinking, you know, this is not for me. You know, I like my sleep and, but it really got a hold of me really, really quickly. Um, mm. And, you know, it's still, it's hard for me to, to say that openly still um, I, after the, my journey. And you know, it's like, it's a, it's a tough thing to admit, but I was, you know, I was using that daily. Um, and, you know, at the end of that period, the two businesses were barely functioning. I was absolutely train wrecked. Like I, I felt like I had thrown a grenade under my life, right? I had massive financial stress. Uh, my mental health was falling apart. My physical health, like I was gaunt and pale and my teeth were getting damaged. Like everything that you you hear about, it, it happened to me and it wasn't supposed to happen to me. Um, mm. But I want to make that really, really clear is that it affects everybody. And, you know, I had enough passion and drive and motivation to, you know, to go to school and to start businesses and to do all of these things. And it's not because I had a silver spoon. It's because I was really motivated. Um, but maybe parts of that personality played into my, my addiction. And it got really serious for me. I ended up, you know, having to have uh, family interventions and, uh, you know, basically that period, my my family, they took me and they put me under lock and key for about a year. Um, I, I, yeah, it was it was it was pretty intense. I didn't go to rehab at that point. Um, and how then, old are you here, Conrad? So how many years ago are we here? Oh, I reckon that was like that was probably six years ago, mm. right? And yep. I did tw I did twelve months at home, and everyone's like, okay, he's fine. He hasn't used any drugs. Uh, and I remember, you know, going out one day. And I went to Chapel Street and I bumped into an old friend and he's like, come and look at my new apartment. It's amazing. You'll love it. I uh, go up there and he's like, here, have a line. 
you know, and I had a single line of cocaine and 45 minutes later I was smoking ice. Mm -hmm. So, and that was after 12 months of complete abstinence and health and recuperation, which was, yeah, that was crazy. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's a tough one to, to think about, you know, it's really, um, yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for sharing all those, those details. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, from, well, f firstly, you've, that's, that's a, well, you've been through a lot there and obviously that time being, um, the, I guess your family intervening, it's, you know, on some, in some ways, you know, how, how lucky are you to have the, um, the love and support of your family to, to pull you in like that and to, um, to, yeah, to look after you and, and help you, help you back, yeah. I, I guess, from, from there that you had a, another, you know, that setback there um, with, with your friend's apartment. Uh, from there, what, what happened from there? Did you end up, I guess, going through more of a... Look, I, I managed to, to get myself back together. Um, that was a small relapse. But, you know, at this point, I didn't have the support. I didn't have knowledge. I didn't have tools. I didn't know what to do. My family just thought, let's isolate him and that will keep him well. So I managed to kind of get my life together, exited out of those businesses and, you know, came out pretty unscathed. I actually sold one and, and made a little bit of um, profit. Nothing compared to the work that I put in, um, but you know that That's was awesome. that was <laughs> that was good. And you know, I I landed a um, a gig at a another co-working business, um, okay. and I, I was doing really really well. I you know I remember like I kind of picked myself up, and you know through that period we were opening up you know innovation spaces and maker spaces, and I was meeting the. Daniel Andrews and and doing all of this cool stuff like I'm really proud of the work that I did there and that felt like I was on an upward trajectory and you know again the thing that derailed me and I'll get to I'll get to the point really quickly is that I had a low level I guess a low level of accountability right I was actually made the the COO of this company um not a huge company but that was my role and I was responsible for EBITDA and money and finance and HR and but you know everything I got to the point where there was a culture there where the parties were too big right we'd have these massive end of year parties um we were always celebrating Friday night drinks used to turn into you know Saturday yeah. afternoon drinks and I I made the mistake of um of planning a party and you know I got a, a bit of money and I bought some more cocaine Right, which is what you, what I, you know, I thought that I should do with that money. It was very, very uh, silly thing to do, and that sent me off. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Lucky I didn't didn't gravitate back towards the methamphetamines, but I was using cocaine every day. Right, I'm in charge of people. I'm in charge of finances. Like I'm running this company. It's multi-site. It's a lot of responsibility. And then I got to the point where I thought it would be okay to, you know, share it with my teammates and share it with other staff. And, you know, it, it became very, very um, out in the open, just like everybody else's drinking was. Um, and then it just got, it got too far. I was, I was using between one and three grams of cocaine every single day, right? Which is a, is a, is a very, very excessive amount. Um, mm. You know, it's, a, it's about $1,000 a day. At, um, yeah. at, at you know, at recommended retail prices. So I, the company had got wind of this and, you know, I had to, you know, 
sit down and explain myself. And this experience changed my life. I had to go into an intervention with a, um, a HR, you know, advisor whom we both know, Amanda from Evans Fall, um, who did an amazing job of uh, being an intermediary, intermediary in that um, situation. She helped us to navigate a solution, right, which was really, really powerful. Um, and the, the major part of that was that I go to rehabilitation for 30 days and sit there and work this out. I thank her for that. I thank my boss at the time for that opportunity. It changed my life. And when I came out, I went through the, I guess, the 12-step program, right, which everyone um, knows about. Mm -hmm. It's like you see it in the movies, you sit in the, the little room and you put your hand up and say, I'm Conrad, I'm an addict. Um, and I did that for probably two years. And I did it very, very thoroughly because I was very, very desperate. Uh, so I went, I did all of the meetings, I did support work, um, you know, I, I contributed to the groups, I did a meeting every single day. Um, and concurrent to this, I got very, very obsessed with holistic well-being, mm. right? Yeah. Which I'm, I'm passionate about. So meditation, hypnotherapy. Mm nutrition, exercise. I went down the rabbit hole. I tried everything. And, you know, some of it was good. Some of it was, was, uh, was not so good. Yeah. And, you know, I got, I got really, really well. Um, it, it, was, it was a fantastic kind of journey for me. I, you know, after all of this tumultuous period in my life, I had a, a coach and a mentor who looked after me. Um, I was doing all of this stuff to help my well-being. I was su uh, su surrounded by support and community. And, you know, I ended up, um, I, I'll tell you, I, I ended up working in a factory, right? So I was, I was working in a factory and, and this is, you know, this is no offense to anybody that does this for work, but I was out in Laverton at 6.30 every day working in a factory, like picking up, making uh, milk feed for cows, right? It was the most back-breaking, grueling work I've ever done in my life. And I did that for seven months, right? And I was sitting there doing that, sending resumes out. Everyone had heard about what had happened at my last job, right? It's not a massive industry. And, you know, I, I got an opportunity to go and work at Hub Australia, right? Uh, Brad Korsakoff, who's an amazing leader, an amazing CEO, amazing human, uh, gave me an opportunity. I'm pretty sure he was aware of what had, um, what had happened. And, you know, I, I went there and I went in at a, at a I, took, I took the role, right? I didn't, it didn't have to be general manager. It didn't have to be CEO, it was a COO, sorry. I just took the job that I could get. Um, and I was so grateful for that. And I felt this unbelievable urge to be outstanding in that role, right? Because that was my new standard in life. So I worked at Hub for a number of years. You know, I'm here today. I'm a member now, which is very, very nice. And, you know, I, I kind of came from that point where I got fired from my job and sent to rehab to this place now where I'm working in this forward-thinking, culturally conscious company. And, you know, at the end of my tenure there, I'm, and I'm proud of this, I, you know, I achieved near-perfect scores on um, the Great Places to Work survey for my team. I was managing a, a million-dollar-plus EBITDA, getting great results for the company. I turned around one of the sites, you know, so I'd, I really had gone from a liability to leadership. 
right? Which is what I talk about in my program. Um, and, you know, it's really possible. When I did that, I felt confident enough to pursue my own passion and my own purpose. So I'm, I'm very, very um, engaged with helping people to reach their potential. I love, I love nurturing people and guiding them and seeing them um, achieve their success. And the addiction and the recovery was such a monumental part of my life. I was like, how can I combine these two things to do something that I love? So I started to formulate the idea for Addiction Coaching Australia whilst I was at Hub. Um, I worked with a, uh, an amazing coach and mentor, Stephen Scott Johnson, uh, who helped me to formulate the, you know, the, the IP and the planning and the, the program. And I built a program that I would have wanted to do when I was really sick because I could have probably stayed at work, right? I could have taken some hours back. I could have stayed there. I could have worked a program. I could have done it privately. Um, so what I did is I built an offering for people who want to get well but don't necessarily want to leave their friends, leave their family, leave their job. Um, so they need to create some space for themselves and I coach and mentor them for eight weeks and concurrently they work with an amazing group of partners who I'm so proud of, um, a, a, a mindful movement specialist, a nutritionist and a hypnotherapist. Um, and I've been getting really, really great results and I've been working with a, a, a lot of people from um, an executive and corporate background and also people from, you know, from a non-executive and non-corporate background. But that really has been the, the focus. So that's been going really, really well. And, you know, recently I, I was trying to develop this concept because I still feel I still feel there's this great stigma around this conversation. It's a conversation that people don't have, right? Nobody's talking about it the way they should. Everyone's talking about mental health or they're talking about, you know, they're putting it under a guise. And it's so rampant that I'm like, how do I take this knowledge and share it with people in their workplaces? So the last six months I've been developing the Liability to Leadership Program, uh, which you're familiar with. I've shared that with you and I'm really excited to get into workplaces, share my story and help leaders to, you know, identify, inform and implement change around these issues. Yeah, great, great story, Conrad. Um, the, I, I guess through your lived experience, like what we were saying, I think last week was that if you've been down the, if you've had an experience like yourself where you've been through a fair bit, a fair bit, you know, in your personal life and professionally as well in that short period of time, um, I guess someone in the same boat who's maybe struggling or maybe not not doing, not being their best self um, through on the weekends and then bringing it to work, um, they, they're very likely to be suffering in, in silence and they're very likely not to want to you know, connect through the usual channels which might be available in a workplace. So, you know, off the top of my head, maybe one of the things that might happen to some people is they're, maybe they're struggling or maybe their manager, you know, sees something and then starts offering the EAP solution, which is employee assistance programs. But but how do you have that, you know, segue that into that, that conversation 
tactfully and I don't think leaders are really ready for that or understand that like you're you're saying they don't really know where where and how to approach it um comrade i'm wondering you know from your perspective and you've you're obviously in this this space now and it's it's a really remarkable story how you're turning your, your passion into your purpose um with the rat like at the moment with the prevalence of addiction in the workplace or people you know being at work and not being and maybe using drugs and that kind of thing how prevalent is it like at the moment or what are you what are some of the stats that you see oh look in terms of my lived experience with this like i have been facilitating in a number of rehabilitation centers and like i said before the word inundated wouldn't be wouldn't be strong enough um private rehabilitation there's wait lists public re rehabilitation there's wait lists and the private sector is is a more expensive sector so it attracts the people that can afford the service, which are typically people that have jobs that probably pay anywhere between 70 and upwards, right? So you wouldn't believe how many people I've engaged with personally in the last 18 months. And it'll be interesting when somebody does a study and pulls out the, the actual numbers, but I can tell you from my own experience that it's it's high. And I've had conversations with people who haven't got to the level where it's an issue for them, but they're still drinking more, right? And it's so accessible. It's everywhere. It's being marketed to you aggressively. Um, it's being put in front of people. It's being delivered to your door. So I, I would suggest that it's a really, really high um, number of people that are engaging with these type of activities. And, you know, like we do, I do have some some numbers around productivity and and you know sick days and things like that so in terms of um productivity like the most recent study was around 2016 and it's six billion dollars a year it's costing corporate australia in lost productivity right and that's directly related to alcohol and drug use that doesn't take into consideration um gambling uh, but I would suggest that often they go they go hand in hand. And um, another really interesting number is Australian workers admitted to taking sorry I shouldn't laugh eleven point five million sick days directly related to drug and alcohol consumption. Mm. Right. So if you want to, I mean, do the numbers on that in terms of what it's costing you in you know in in time and money. One in five workers have said that a team member substance misuse has directly affected their ability to do their work. So not only is it the person doing the damage to themselves, they're coming back to work and they're dropping work on somebody else. They're pushing it off to, to the next person and they're creating really unsafe work environments. You know, it's, it's incredible the amount of people that I see that have had a workplace injury that's directly related to, to drug and alcohol consumption. You know, and that's that's loss of fingers. It's it's all kinds of you know things that are really really you don't want in in your life. So in terms of prevalence and and cost to to corporate Australia, it's a it's a massive problem. It's a very very big business problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes it does make a lot of sense. I mean, you've um, you think about all the different sectors as well, different industries. I mean the monday has gone too far people not showing up their best on even you know tuesday wednesday i remember my time in i lived in london for a couple of years and um that was back in that's actually a long time ago i'm thinking maybe more than 10 yeah well over 10 years ago gee i'm showing my age there um and and i used to turn i'm a, a physio 
by background. And, and then I was working in a hospital and I actually remember a lot of the team members in healthcare that were, were really struggling to get there on a Monday. And yeah, um, yeah they were they were heavily into uh, like cocaine on the weekends and, and yeah, kind of thinking about that now, as you were saying that example, that would actually leave me with a bit more work to do on my Monday um, because they wouldn't show up and I'd have to be picking up their their patients and treating them for, and, for them. So, and that's in a, that's that's in healthcare. <laughs> so yeah, which is alarming, and it, that creates resentment. Why should I have to do your work, mm. right? Because you can't come, you can't show up to work as your as your best self. It's really, it's a tough one. And, you know, also another thing to to point out is the the damage to corporate reputation, right? And unfortunately, I've seen this used as fodder by competitors and also in the press and the media. So it's like if you're not handling and looking after these these situations, they can they can get very very disastrous very very quickly. And you you talked about industries before. You know, if if you had to, if I had to ask you what industries you thought were it was prevalent in, you'd probably come up with the you know like finance and banking and real estate and you know, but it's everywhere. Like we work with people from every aspect of the, the workplace and sometimes you meet people and you just can't, you can't actually, even me, I work in this industry and I'm like, I, I can't get my head around this, right? So healthcare is a massive one, um, mm. you know, and, it's, and that's because it's, it's, it's there and it's, you know, it's a solution and people are under such stress. So they, you know, they're they're grabbing at things. Yeah, yeah. The, st the stress and the strain of um, healthcare, especially in the hospital setting. Now that I'm thinking back to those those um, physio department sort of days, and and then also the types of uh, I guess people that we would be out drinking with. They're all in healthcare. Lots of lots of medical doctors um, who were, you know, have high high stress jobs. Um, really frontline, I guess, as well, and um, and needing I guess needing or seemingly needing to to use substances to get through their very hectic schedule and um, shift work and that kind of thing. Um, Conrad, I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, going back to those years where you were working as a COO in that, that workplace, um, was there anything about that workplace or any examples that you see regularly with your clients whereby the workplace culture is probably the problem or, the, or maybe one of the factors that are creating that, you know, either high workload or or stress for the, for that particular person that then leads to more substance um, misuse. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that you know high stress is probably you know uh, it, it's probably it's the the top of the the list. But in the current climate, it's not only high stress from the leaders and the bosses, but it's high stress from customers, right? Because everybody is scared and freaked out and you know it's like people are losing their their tempers and and being short and aggressive on both ends of the spectrum so if you're not delivering and you're not delivering <laughs> it's it's really really challenging um i think you know we need to kind of think about how we celebrate right i don't think that it it, it needs to be this thing where every celebration is a massive party or an excuse to to drink and to you know to kind of go on i i think also 
companies need to incentivize in different ways, right? I, I've, I've worked in a lot of places and I've, I've been privy to, to a lot of cultures that are like, if you do this, we'll do this, right? And this usually ends up in some kind of party or some kind of drinking or, and which, you know, then ends up in the mm. after that. And that's where the real problems happen. It's like, what is that? What is the actual subculture of the company and what's going on after the events, right? So how do you create um, an environment where people can celebrate, but they can do that in a safe and inclusive manner? You know, Hub is a really, really good example. Um, we used to have really great events, but they would never open bar. There was a period and that was it. And after that, you know, the event would end and everybody would get a, a, an Uber voucher to get them home safely. And then typically if we were away on a, um, on a, a weekend um, work-related thing, there'd be something very, very early on the Saturday morning to give us some accountability to, to, to show up there. I think creating alternatives Right, so simple things like lunches, not dinners, alcohol-free events, um, having people like Heaps Normal or Sands Drinks come in and 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 run an event at your um, workplace, right, for yourself or for your clients is a is a good alternative, and I I really feel like senior leaders need to step up and understand that in two thousand and twenty one, you know, culturally, um, religiously, and also with a younger generation coming up, drinking is is not always going to be the acceptable norm. I know that there's, you know, there's there's actually been research and, and studies that have shown that young Australians are not partaking in alcohol and, and drugs like our generation um, and the generation before us have. So if you're in your, you know, 40s to 60s in a leadership role in a company and your idea of celebration and incentivization and culture is drinking and partying and you know, work work hard, play hard, it's not going to resonate with people coming up through the the ranks. So you really need to work hard on on making sure that there's alternatives for your teams um, and, you know, having events that are actually fun, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's so many ways to engage with happiness and enjoyment and curiosity and team without everyone being pissed, you know? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to, to revolve around... Um, alcohol all the time yeah really good I, I think um yeah i think back to some of those sort of days where it was always friday night drinks as the incentive for the for the team or whatever um i also think now if you think about say the last 12 months for people in who are working at home um one of the one of the issues now is obviously the lack of connection from and support from leaders to people that, that are also got a lot of stress in their own houses, whether that's managing kids or um, maybe not really enjoying their time being around the, their partner that they're married to because they're in close quarters. So, yeah. there, so there's also an opportunity for leaders to support in in even other ways, like things like role like role clarity. What do we what do we expect off each other here in this awkward time? Um, can I because because all of that will also help with just stress management as well so if there's a way to kind of for your managers or leaders to lower the stress temperature via good communication um yeah that, that might even just create i guess less risks um for that employer because i've got examples in our even in our neighborhood where we are now where people are because they're homeschooling 
the two um, parents are working, they're not essential, they're both working at home. So they're working earlier and later into the night. So they're now yep. working 14 hour days and they've never done it before. So what do they then do on the weekends? Well, then they drink more because they need to, uh, they're trying to bloody feel, feel some fun in their, you know, in their life. Um, so they're, they're resorting to more wine. That's not going to lead to, well, hopefully it doesn't lead them down a, a path of, of other things, but, um, but it's certainly not healthy. No, I love the idea of the temperature che temperature check. And in the current COVID climate, like things like low accountability, boredom, high stress, and not feeling valued or heard are really, they're, they're very, they're, they're not going to help, right? So I would say that these are, are things that are, are, are contributing to the, the climate. So, you know, I love, I love the idea of doing, uh, and, you know, this is, this is not revolutionary. I'm sure many people are doing a daily stand-up or we use, you know, I do a thing called the play, um, and I share that with a with an online community, which is my plan for the day. Something I learned from yesterday, something awesome from the day before, and a U score out of five, you know, zero being terrible and five being really good. So sharing accountability and doing that temperature check and letting others know about it is a very very good tool. So people um, find great support and community in that. And I think that, you know, in terms of the boredom, there's always things that you can do to foster engagement and well-being, right? Activities, um, whether they be online or, you know, enabling people to, to do something fun within the confines of their, their radius, but like connecting your teams and making sure that you guys are, at, and or sorry, you, you people or are having a, a good time right? In what is a very, very trying time. So high stress, you know, for me, the, the solution to stress for me is managing my state, right? And I, I do that through a very, very conscientious and considered meditation practice. Um, and this is something that you would know a lot about with your work with well workplaces. I can't stress the importance um, of connecting with yourself on a daily basis. So it's like, how does my head, heart and mind feel? And how am I going to work with that when I interact with myself and with others? If you're not doing that and everything else is piled onto you, then, you know, it's really easy to, for your, for the, the, the you know, you up at a very, very high temperature by 9am in the morning, there's so much going on. So another thing that, you know, I like, I like the idea of is when there's, you know, low process and poor communication and people aren't feeling valued or heard, um, they can become despondent. So it's like, are you creating work groups for people? Are you listening to their goals and aspirations for their next role? Are you involving them in project groups, right? This is a really, really nice tool. And um, again, something that I've picked up in my, my career working in a role knowing that I know more or could do more or in, interested in something else and, and being asked to engage with that because that created a buy-in for me, you know. I felt connected to the company. I felt connected to a purpose. So that could be, a you know, a good a good resource. Yeah, yeah, there's some good, t definitely some great tips and advice in there with uh, with managers and leaders. I mean, at the moment, we're talk with mental health being talked about so much, as we, we were saying at the start of this conversation. Um, I guess the question for me is, well, managers and leaders aren't psychologists or counsellors, are they? So how do we, how can they help and support 
employees where they kind of maybe sense that something's not quite right. Um, but I guess as well, how do we empower the leaders with those skills? Yeah, I think that it's it's really important to think about the conversations that you're not having in the workplace, right? So what, what do we not talk about? Um, and I think that's a really, really good start for people to actually being engaged with their employees and their teams and, and ask them, what do we not talk about here, right? What are we not addressing? What are we that's not great, covering? Great right? question. Great question. Yeah. You got me thinking there straight away. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's good. It's, you know, and it's like, I, I think this is one of the things that we're not talking about. And look, it's, this is in its infancy and there's still so much stigma. Like I even, I sit here, I'll say it again. I feel, sometimes I feel uncomfortable talking about, so public about, publicly about my journey. So to get somebody to put their hand up and say, I have a drinking addiction, I have a gambling addiction, I have a sex addiction, you know, it's, it's going to be a very, very challenging um conversation to have. So talking about what we're not talking about is a good start. And I think that if there's an opportunity for somebody else to have the hard conversation, that's a great start as well. So having somebody like myself come in or somebody like you um, and starting a dialogue with employees and creating a space where they actually feel comfortable and say, hey, look, I'm not, you know, I'm not a drug addict, but I could I could be better, right? Mm-hmm. I could actually like dial it in a bit, or I could I could use some help with my drinking, or you know the gambling is actually getting a little bit out of control. And and this is the thing: it's like addiction doesn't have to be I'm in the gutter with a needle in my arm, right? As soon as this behaviour usurps the other things in your life, right? So as soon as it becomes more important than your family and your career and your health and your happiness. Um, and your connection to life, then you need to address it and you need to do it really quickly. So I think for leaders, creating an environment where people feel safe to talk about these things, and if it's not to them, then it's to someone like myself, someone like an EAP, and understanding that I'm not a psychologist either. Um, I might go back and do my master's one day, but I've had so many people come to work with me or come to work with other addiction coaches and say, I went to a psychologist and they were really helpful, but they just didn't really get it, right? So having that lived experience of addiction, I know what it feels like. I've been through that. So if you have a specific problem, get specific help, right? It's like if your car's broken, you don't take it to a boat shop. You take it to the best mechanic you can find for your money, right? So leaders having the resources, even if they've got a, 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 you know, a little inkling or a feeling, making that introduction, saying, I heard about this service, and not saying it specifically to the individual, saying it to a group. If you have an issue with this, this is available, and you can do it privately, and we're not going to ask you any questions, and you don't have to tell us that you used it. You know, It's like when you call up an EAP, the only person that knows that you access the EAP is your HR lead, right? So it's not shared with the entire company. So it's like if it's if it's made available through that um, through that avenue, and then you can talk to a person in trust and in confidence and say, "Hey, my issue is not actually mental health. I drink too much, and I need help with that." Right? 
and then being able to get the, the help that you need. And I think for leaders also being reactive is not good enough at this point. So in my situation, like I was only getting the help when I was, you know, I was desperate and I was fallen in a heap. So how do you increase education? How do you increase awareness? Um, and how do you actually start talking about it in a way that feels natural? Like the conversation we have around mental health today, we weren't having that five, six, seven years ago. There was stigma around that. Yeah, it's a really good point. Like we've had more, more than ever, there's been senior leaders talking about their own experiences with anxiety or depression. Um, yeah, really interested to see if we have the same song, same conversation around, you know, addiction in the in the you know five next five years. I, I feel like it's it's potentially going to head that way because the more we share stories, the more we learn, and then we more the more we, I guess, learn better off we all are um, as a as a community. But also, just I always talk about how workplaces are communities. Um, they're just they just seemingly. At the moment, they're dispersed communities um, in your in the neighbourhoods that we're all in. Um, but also, when we do get back to that workplace setting, that's its, that's its own community. And so, the support structures within the community all need to be at a really good level. And it's the options. It's creating, I guess, opt-ins for employees that need the help. Um, and it could just be a little nudge or a little bit of awareness, or maybe a shared story um, that might get someone, you know, pushed from where they are to a, a place of maybe recovery or, or at least the right sort of pathway. I think um, the, sto the story is so pertinent. And sorry to, to interrupt, but it's it's really important. Like I worked with a, a very, very senior leader in a massive, like a global consulting firm. And he really was in a bad, bad way and in complete denial when he when he first met me. And by the end of it, he's like, I'm going back and I'm going to talk to our people lead and our global HR lead and I'm going to share my story, right? That's a, you know, that's like, that's really brave. Yeah. Right? But those he has to. Yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, with, with some of the clients that you have, do you have any stories that you could share around that pathway, you know, those pathways to recovery? Um, maybe some examples or case studies that obviously not sharing all the details, but just any, any sort of in the field experience or stories that are, that are able to be shared just for our audience that might be interested. Yeah, absolutely. And also always mindful of, of privacy. And I guess the, mm -hmm. the, the things that I want to speak to are that addiction affects many different types of Australians from many different backgrounds, culturally, work, you know, religious. Um, I think the statistic is one in five, right? So that's a, that's an alarming um, alarming mm -hmm. figure. But I've worked with people from all types of industries. So um, I'll happy to speak to three or four of those, you know. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind was was an alcohol rep. Right. So and this is this is around corporate responsibility. It's like if you have an alcohol company, that's OK. But is it somebody's job to go out and drink and take drugs and party with all of their clients? Right. Is that the is that the role? It might not say it in the in the JD, mm -hmm. but if that's the role, then you've got a lot of work to do. 
right, around accountability and, and keeping people safe and, and, and happy. You know, like obviously that role is more about um, building partnerships and, and building value and, and incentivizing, but it can be very easily construed as my job is to go out and, and get these guys on board right, or these people on board. And I'm going to do that through alcohol, uh, strip clubs, mm. casinos, <laughs> you know. And yeah. that's, you know, that's somebody that I had to to really strip back. Um, and coupled with the alcohol dependency was a codependency issue, right, which actually set the addiction off. It's like my, my partner left me and, mm. you know, the, I know how to deal with that and I'm just going to, I'm going to go hard, right. Mm. So, that ends up with a loss of job, um, and that ends up with with the person in a in a in a private rehabilitation center. And that's you know that's very very alarming because three months ago he was cool. He had a, a partner and and a job, and he was having some fun. But all of the things that were around him were setting him up for an absolute disaster. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke earlier about the um, you know the 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 financial consultant again from a, a global company. Um, not currently in in Melbourne, um, but was here when I was working with him. And I think for for him, he's absolutely 100% COVID related, right? Mm. So as soon as you step out of that office, when you're in a role that's so high up, everybody else is, you know, in his situation, he he took the opportunity to let everybody else uh, run the ship and was unmotivated, lacked purpose, had very little to do and you know ended up using some very very dangerous substances i won't go into the details around them but if you saw the person and you saw where they lived and you saw the job it 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 doesn't Mm. mesh up right so i think that was really really covid related i've worked with tech founders right and you know like i'll speak to this really quickly and this is not a generalization, but there's suboptimal personality traits that I see all of the time in, in people. And it's high ego and arrogance, poor communication and coping skills, uh, sometimes rescuers, so people who are, are there for everyone else except themselves, right? Lack of self-understanding, intellectual superiority is a big one, and low integrity, which is a it, it's an end result of all of the behavior. So, like, there's good news, you know. Like, I work really hard to 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 work with people and get them reconnected to their thoughts, feelings, hearts, and emotions, and most importantly, their creativity. Right. So they can bring initiative and innovation to the workplace. But they're definitely things to be mindful of. Right. And I'm not saying that everybody that has those character traits. Uh, is going to go down this road, but that's what I see um, often. And you know what I what I turn out um, is connected, gentle, empathetic, happy people, right? And I've sometimes I can't believe it's happened. I know it happened for me, so I know it can happen for others. Um, but it's it's been really nice. Um, another another one that comes to mind is a you know a finance executive that I've worked with really really recently, um, cocaine and methamphetamines. And, you know, that was related to also COVID. My purpose, my sense of self is ringing the bell, doing the deals, you know, smashing my, my, um, my targets, getting my bonus, my BMW, 
right? So everything is about consumption and everything is about material things. And the workplace is just pushing that person to live that, live that role, live that persona, right? And then again, you strip this guy back who's been, you know, doing a, a copious amount of drugs and, and, and harming himself. And he's not that guy, you know, he's friendly, connected, empathetic, genuine, wants to be in love. You know, it's like these mm. simple things, simple things that we all want in life, but we are conditioned through our upbringings and our schooling and our career paths to, to put on masks, right? And when we put on these masks, every day that we wear that mask, we're not being our true self, right? And that's hard. So to do that, cover it up with a substance makes perfect sense. So like, how do we get people to show up and be them, be their, be their whole selves? You know, that's the, the question that I want to, to mm. ask. And I, I really feel like I'm contributing to that. So it's like, if more people could, could contribute to that, then we'd have, you know, much happier and um, much more connected people. Yeah, absolutely. And and how some of those examples you've shared there, Conrad, are so interesting to me because, you know, you mentioned this person in the startup or the, you know, the people that are high up in some of these organisations um, to get to where they were or to get to into that mindset of starting up a business. It takes a certain type to be driven, to be pushing. Um, and, you know, I, I guess in some ways linking their... I guess their their ego gets connected to the title or the role or the you know results that they produce on a weekly on a weekly basis. And um, if you're right around the schooling and stuff, is it if if you're encouraged if you get a good result at high school and then that leads to a a great uni degree, everyone celebrates you along the way. So what do you do? Well, you keep achieving and keep achieving. But if you're not connected back to who am I? What do I want? And um, you know, do I have a bigger sense of who I am and, and the purpose that I'm and the, you know, the things that I'm doing in, in my life? Are, am I actually happy happy there? It's um, it's interesting with how COVID has in some ways stopped everything for a lot of people and it's kind of made them go, um, am I really connected, happy? Do I love who, you know, am I am I still in love with my, my partner? Um, it, you know, do I love my friends? All that kind of thing. It's all come out in the last... 12 months and um, someone I was speaking with on the podcast about a month ago was uh, Katie Richards and, and basically separations um, are, are up by a lot. Um, there's a lot of divorces happening. So it's been a really interesting time to kind of see where everyone's at. And um, for the people that have gone through this, the ones that you mentioned, no doubt or my optimistic hat on suggests that this will be, whilst it's terrible, um, it might be the best thing that's happened to them. In some ways. Yeah, I, I really I feel that. And you know, I think the the thing that the point that you made around relationships is so true. And I can tell you unequivocally that rejection is is very, very intertwined with substance misuse and behavioral issues. Right? I, I put it up at like 85 to 90% of the people that I, I I work with have had some form of rejection. It is right. so hard to to know that you're not loved or not wanted or, you know, and 
Yeah, it's alarming. I've I've heard that same statistics as well, and particularly also the stuff around the the, the childhood, you know, the self harm and the the eating disorders, and it's like there's so much um, so much going on. It's it's a very very psychologically unsafe time. That's right. That's right. And um, and a lot of the discussion today, which has been amazing, and I, th I thank you so much for sharing your story. I feel like this brings a lot of awareness to this space, and, so, and I don't think it's a conversation that's being had enough. So, really, I'm hopeful that our community of listeners will will enjoy this, and learn a little bit, and um, and hopefully, maybe have some thoughts around how they can support their employees as well through this really challenging time that we're in. Um, Conrad, I feel like that's a perfect place to uh, to stop and, and for both of us to have a bit of a time to reflect. Um, but thank you so much for your time, Conrad. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. You know, I, I, I'm, I was so happy for the opportunity and it's so nice to connect with a, a like-minded person who's doing amazing work. So thank you, Tom. Thanks, Conrad. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another Well Workplaces podcast. If you've loved the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Or feel free to follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram and search Well Workplaces or my profile, Tom Bosner. The show is produced by Alice Hoyle and is made in my backyard cubby. If you would like to hear more about our exclusive events and more about the Well Workplaces community, feel free to email me directly at tom at wellworkplaces.com.au where I'd love you to tell me who I should interview in the future podcasts and also tell me what you've loved most about the show. This podcast is really built on community input and built on the aspiration of inspiring healthy change in every workplace. Thanks for listening.